are listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 1030 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Morning, everybody. My name is Kellen, and that's for those of you who have never either met me before or never seen me without a hat. Um, as Mike said, I just graduated from uh, Talbot Magna Cum Laude, and I have to say that because so far the only thing uh, that's given me is that title and crippling student debt, so I bring that up as, <laughs> as often as possible. Um, no, it's a privilege to be here with you guys this Father's Day. Um, you know, Father's Day is one of the lower-attended church days, uh, which I think is kind of funny because obviously Jesus uh, didn't get that memo. One of the very first stories we have of Jesus growing up as a boy is when his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him uh, to the temple. And uh, they, they left, and they're in this long train of people, and it took a few days to realize that Jesus wasn't with them. So his parents, uh, in, in a crazed frenzy, went back to find their son, and they found their 12-year-old son in the temple talking with the teachers of the law, and it says that they were amazed uh, by his questions. And if you guys are parents of uh, teenagers or pre-teenagers, you know how easy that can be. They ask phenomenal questions. And so his mother went up to him and said, didn't you know that we were looking for you? Were you basically, are you trying to give your father and I a heart attack? And Jesus, in his very first bit of dialogue, uh, and he says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be at my father's house? I love that. Parents, don't you wish that maybe you could say the same thing about your pre-teenager, right? So maybe it's like midnight, you're going around the house, you check in on their room, and they're not in their bed. And you look around, and they're not in the house. My guess is your first thought probably isn't, oh, it's okay, I bet they're at church. (laughs) If that's the case for your son or daughter, please let us know. We will get them an office. That would be phenomenal. Um, But anyway, so Jesus obviously valued Father's Day, and uh, we're going to be talking from the text. uh, Our text today is from 1 Kings uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 3. And in this passage, we have David. Uh, He is at the, he's nearing the end of his life, and he calls in his son Solomon. It says, when David's time uh, to die drew near, he commanded his, uh, commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of the earth. Right, So when he prefaces that, he's basically saying, these are going to be my last words. When somebody tells you that these are going to be the last words they're ever going to speak in life, that's the point which you're supposed to pay attention. And so that's what he does. His first words to Solomon are phenomenal. He says, be strong and show yourself a man. Gosh, I, I love that. I was thinking there's, there's a whole sermon just in that phrase alone. Be strong and show yourself a man. How awesome is that? David was charging his son Solomon, who was going to be the next and last king over united Israel, to be a man and to fully embrace the person that God created him to be. And the cool thing is that David was a prime example of a man, right? David was one of the most manliest dudes to have ever existed in the entire Bible. Just in case you you need a refresher, here's some of the things that David did in his life. He killed a murderous giant before he ever went through puberty. His military prowess gained him a group of faithful followers that stuck with him in the face of certain death. He mercifully spared a king that called for his own blood not once but twice. He was a warrior of legendary proportions and he had a cadre of fighters akin to the three musketeers. He was a composer, an author, and a writer of an estimated 78 psalms exalting the God of Israel. He united a kingdom and became a descendant of Christ himself, and he was also labeled a man after God's own heart by the Apostle Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament. 
David was a manly man, and we so desperately need more men like him, especially in a culture that so radically devalues traditional masculinity in favor of an overly watered down and overly sensitive androgynous culture that can't tell the difference between when to shave and when not to shave. And if you need, a, if you need an example of what that looks like, if you can grow a beard like Nathan Baldwin, do it. Other than that, don't bother, right? He's the one playing drums back there. Other than that, don't even bother. But you see, when David was calling his son Solomon to be a man, this was not a call to some sort of bogus machismo. This is not a call to, I don't know, it wasn't just a call for like chivalry either. It was a call to really be a man after God's own heart. That's what David was charging his son with. I'm lucky in my life to have an example of manliness, so I'll stop talking and let him come up. And this is my dad, Lance Peterson. All right, as, as uh, Mike said, my son just went through two years of seminary, got his master's degree, so I knew when Mike called me and said he wanted us both to speak that I was the comic relief. <laughs> um, but my son graciously pointed out that there was another reason why I was asked to speak today. So as a father, I can identify with David when he was talking about his son Solomon. Um, I found that I have a common experience when I've talked to other parents. I remember when Kelm was born... Um, He's our, he's our oldest, so they're firstborn. I was at the hospital, and all of a sudden I felt like there was a part of me I never even knew existed. Um, my love for my son surprised me so much, that I, and I thought, man, my own, my own father must have felt this way. And, and each successive son that I've had, I felt like there's been a new part of me. And I, I guess I didn't realize before that, that we as parents love our children in different ways than we love our spouse or our parents. In fact, um, now that I have two wonderful daughter-in-laws, I'm realizing that... Um, we actually love our daughters and our sons differently. Mothers love their kids differently than fathers do. It's, all, it's different. It's unique because we have different relationships. Um, in our society, there's kind of like a, a press to have everything equal. You know, everything's got to be the same. But God's not like that. God loves the fact that we're all different. Um, in fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 1.12, he talks about the different gifts we have and the different functions we do in the body. And because we function differently and 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 have different gifts, we relate to people differently, and that's okay. Um, God calls us as parents to, to bring out those gifts that God's given us, even when those gifts sometimes can be used for the wrong thing, just like everything God gives us. Um, let me give you a good example of that. There's a trait that, that a lot of men have is competitive. I mean, women do too, but I know, for, you know men share it. Um, this can cause a lot of problems. But Paul recognized the good part of competitiveness when he, in 1 Corinthians 9.24, said, do you not know that all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now that is a verse that speaks to me and probably speaks to a lot of men. Um, I've often felt that if uh, being a good father was a competitive sport, we'd have a lot more good fathers. Um, I was blessed growing up to have a great earthly father, and he taught me about good, uh, good competition. Um, my dad, when he was three, had polio, and he had a withered leg because of it. And then when he was 10, he got hit by a car and had both his legs broken. He was in a coma for, for several weeks, and they never even expected him to walk again. Um, but as I was growing up, I didn't even realize anything was wrong with my dad until one of my friends said, why is your dad limp? Um, my dad played golf. He played tennis. But what he really, really loved his sport was ping pong. And so we grew up playing a lot of ping pong. Maybe some of you know that in the backyard. Um, but my dad was very good at it. And he would never, he played hard every time. But he would change it so he would, he would uh, handicap himself. So he'd, he'd play left-handed. Or he'd give me 15 points or 20 points to start. Or, <laughs> or he'd play on one leg. 
And although I was, when I was writing this down, I realized he only had one good leg, so maybe that wasn't that big a handicap. Um, <laughs> but my dad never let me win. But I knew when I was finally able to beat him that he was satisfied. He was glad. Um, David loved his children. It's like he had a lot of heartache with him. He loved even the, even the one son who tried to kill him. Absalom rebelled against him, um, rebelled against the king and tried to set up his own kingdom and tried to kill David. And yet when David heard that Absalom had died, he cried out, wishing that it had been him instead. So I can understand that. So how excited David must have been to impart his kingdom onto Solomon. Even knowing that all the bad things that could go with it, David wanted Solomon to be the man that God created him to be and wanted him to use those gifts to, to be a blessing and to serve God. Um, so I want to say, as a father and mother, God has given you unique gifts and God given you a unique relationship with each child. If you have multiple children, you know that they're all different, and that's okay. In fact, all the relations we have are different, and that's okay because God's put you in a unique place. He has given you unique gifts to bring out those gifts in the other person. And so I just want to encourage you as a parent and as, as a friend and, and, and all the relations you have to use that. Um, in fact, as I turn it over to Kellen, I want to say that I look forward to the day when I'll have that unique relationship with grandkids. So, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, that was subtle, wasn't it? <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dan. Um, <laughs> so the charge that David gives his son Solomon to be a man is important, but it's really the next part that's really the crux of the message. It's really that uh, where it comes into sharp focus. And check out what he says here. He says... Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That's really the essential part of the message that David was trying to give to his son Solomon. See, the, the desire of good fathers is for their children to learn from their mistakes and to prosper and to do even better. Godly fathers want their children to be godly. That's just a true thing. And David, for all of his flaws, knew the incredible importance of obeying the commands of God. I believe that uh, David, gave, he was given the title of man after God's own heart. And I think that it was because David sought God regardless of what happened to him. I really believe that because David was not a perfect example. He messed up. In fact, few people in the Bible have messed up on the same scale that David has messed up. And yet every time he did, he sought God's mercy, his grace, and his redemption. He always turned back to God. And I think that's what makes a distinction. Because David understood something that so many in this room right now today know in their heads but often forget in their hearts, and that is that there is no sin too great for the creator of the universe to forgive. And that is a phenomenal thing. David's charge to Solomon was also one of obedience. Now, obedience, I think, is an undervalued virtue in this modern age, but it is one of great magnitude. Um, my best friend Sam, some of you guys know Sam, he usually sits over there, and when worship goes, you definitely know who I'm talking about. He sings loud and proud. He is a United States Marine. He's actually on base doing uh, combat training right now, and he served a year in Baghdad. And I remember my brother and I were talking to Sam when he got back, and we were saying, were you ever in a firefight? He said, well, yeah, one time our, we were in a Humvee convoy, and we came under enemy fire. And we said, were, were you scared at all? And he kind of thought, and he goes, no, not really. Because when we came under enemy fire, my commander yelled out orders, and my training just kicked in. We just snapped to attention. I thought that was just such an awesome thing. What a cool example of obedience that he was able to share with me. Because when things went wrong, he acted like a good soldier should. His extensive training kicked in in a life-threatening situation, and he reacted. He listened to his commanders. And that's what obedience does for us as Christians. It's that lifestyle of obedience. It's doing what you're 
supposed to be doing and constantly training that David is advocating for his son Solomon to constantly walk in the commandments of the Lord. When we walk constantly with the Holy Spirit, we become trained. We build up that spiritual muscle memory and we become more and more like Jesus. It's, it's the act of discipleship. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, he calls it a long obedience in the same direction. It's the act of constantly walking with God. David wasn't merely suggesting that Solomon should just sort of check it out. He was saying, look, you need to respond in obedience. And God wants us for that as well. So when we find ourselves in a figurative firefight, a spiritual battle, we respond with training that is given to us from the Holy Spirit. And least we forget, too, that Christ himself was a man under obedience. In Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus is praying prior to his death on the cross, and he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Christ was a man under obedience to God the Father, as we all are. It's that obedience that is so important. David charges Solomon with following the commands of the God. And this is a command which went partially heeded. My parents and I were talking the other day, um, and they said that, you know, as a kid growing up, they would often tell me things, and my initial reaction was to argue, which I know comes as a shock to people who know me. Um, But that was my first reaction, was sort of argue and to rebel against it. And then what I would do is I'd kind of go away, and I'd think about it for a little while, and then I would come back, and I would basically say the exact same thing that they told me, only now it came from my own, you know, infinite wisdom and intelligence. I said that was crazy because I was a perfect child, so I don't know what they're talking about. Um... The funny thing is that Solomon effectively did the exact same thing. Uh, In the book of Ecclesiastes, which uh, most biblical scholars believe Solomon wrote, uh, the only author that we know, he identifies himself as Koheleth, which means preacher or teacher. But in this book, which is one of the wisdom literature books, um, he talks about all of his experiences and the things that he went out and he did. And he talked about some of the things he did. He went out and he he built a house. Uh, He went out and he he indulged in pleasures. He did things both good and bad. And ultimately, he said it was all just about as pointless as chasing after the wind. It's a little discouraging because I'm about to leave on a Mexico mission trip to go build a house. But all the same, I know I'm doing God's work. So um, this is what he says at the end of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he says this. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of a man. Doesn't that sound a little bit familiar? It sounds like Solomon needed to come to that point on his own, that he needed to go out and experience these things. But ultimately, he wound up agreeing with what his father David had told him. And this command comes with a caveat as well. When you look at the bottom, it says that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Solomon was saying, or David was telling his son that um, this is what will happen if you obey God. And this is not the same thing as a guarantee that if you follow God, that you'll never fail in your endeavors and that you'll never struggle with the realities of life. What this means is that in the eyes of God, you'll prosper. And when this life passes from one to the next, we'll be counted righteous, not by our own merits, but counted righteous in Christ. See, David knew that to follow after God was one of the most important things that we could do. To have a real deep, honest relationship with the Alpha and the Omega of the universe, to walk in obedience, and to strive to follow God regardless of whatever else we encounter was the most important thing that we could do. And here's the really fantastic thing. This is the good news for all of you guys today. If you walk through those doors and took a seat today and you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get to call yourselves children of God. That is just an awesome, encouraging thing. Maybe some of you guys were fortunate enough to have a paragon of virtue for a father, at least someone that you looked up to and admired. Maybe for some of, some of you, father is a profane word, and it makes you feel anger and shame, frustration, longing, hurt, confusion, guilt, or practiced indifference. Maybe for some, Father's Day is an empty day because the only father you've ever known is not one that you'd want to celebrate. But take heart, because no matter which category you fall into, if you've accepted Christ in your life, then none of you today are fatherless. That's the awesome thing, and that alone is reason for celebrating. 
In fact, I love what the New Living Translation says. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I love that verse because not only did God bring us into his family, but it gave him great pleasure. That's what God wanted to do. He longed to bring us into his family, and that is such a cool thing. God, like a good father, wants us to be with him, and he wants us to be like him. There's a difference between the communicable and the incommunicable attributes of God. Love, joy, mercy, grace, uh, peace, patience, all these things are communicable attributes, which basically just means they're a virtue that we and God can both share as we strive to be more and more like Jesus. There are other things that we probably can't uh, do like God, like his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. We can't be everywhere all the time, know all things, and be all-powerful, although I wish sometimes I could. But the thing is that God wants us to be like him. He wants us to endeavor to be more and more like Christ. And he sent his own son, Jesus, to show us what those communicable attributes look like played out in the drama of a human life. The last image I want to leave you guys with of God the Father is the one which Jesus' son gives us in the parable of the prodigal son. And most of you guys know the story, and if you don't check it out, it's from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. But basically in this story, you've got a wayward son returning home in desperation and in poverty, having squandered all that his father gave him in compassion and love. And the father, God, was on the lookout for his son. He's standing out there eagerly awaiting the arrival of his long lost son. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That is such an awesome image of God the Father because even in the midst of our worst moment, when we turn towards God, God the Father runs towards us. It's this sort of undignified thing of this older man picking up his robes and just booking it to grab his son and throwing his arms around him and embracing him. And that's how God the Father views us. That's how God sees us. When Jesus, the Son, gave us the image, uh, the story to help understand the character of our, our eternal Father, he delivers a story that shows the compassion that God has for us regardless of our faults and circumstances because ultimately that's who God really is. And the story is so beloved because we get to see that image of God. We get to see that glimpse of the character of the Almighty. And he's a loving father that desperately longs for us to turn back to him. And when we do, when we turn towards him, he runs to meet us. And that's really what it means to have a heavenly father. This isn't to say that we aren't called to obedience, that we don't have to obey his laws and commandments. We do. It just means that when we mess up, because we will often, that he is longing to bring us back into his family and to call us children. And when we call upon his name, he turns and runs towards us. I just love that image. So this Father's Day, um, as you guys are here, uh, think about your father. Your father is here right now. Maybe he's passed on. um, Or maybe you think about your eternal father and give thanks. Because one brought you into this world and one is longing to welcome us home when we leave this world. I'm going to pray for us. God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to celebrate Father's Day. Uh, We thank you for being our Father. Um, God, I thank you for being so loving and so caring that you long to run to us and to embrace us and bring us back into your fold. Um, Lord, I just pray for everybody here today. Lord, I thank you for the good fathers. I thank you for the ones that have uh, brought their children up right. And Lord, um, we pray for those fathers that maybe fall short of that mark. We pray for uh, forgiveness and for uh, grace. And I know it's difficult. And I pray for each person in this congregation today, Lord, um, I just thank you for being our, our Heavenly Father, someone that we can look to no matter what and someone that we can love and admire. 
We thank you for all these things in your name. Amen.